You are listening to the PBL Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Your host here, Eve Vanderbilt, with his trusted canine co-host, Woody, where we bring it to you raw, unfiltered, with no chaser. And once again, you have found yourself at the PBL Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Of course, I am here with my trusted canine co-host, Woody. Woody, how you doing, buddy? Woof. You're right, Woody. Let's get right to it. Hey, we have a very, very special ask of you today. It has nothing to do with algorithms. It has everything to do with helping people out in need this holiday season. A very good friend of mine on Twitter. Uh, her Twitter handle is, by the way, at Betty underscore O, B-E-T-T-E underscore O-H, and I'll have all of this in my show notes, has started what she's calling the Venmo Challenge. And what Betty is doing is she's seen a need for people out there because this is a very challenging time. Uh, especially around the holiday season financially for a lot of people. We've got these lockdowns happening. People are unemployed or underemployed or living off of pandemic assistance, and it's not nearly enough. So Betty was out in her community and saw people in need and decided to do something about it and created this Venmo challenge. And she's asking us, uh, you, me, whoever is part of her Twitter family, and I highly encourage you to follow Betty on Twitter. She's one of my favorite follows, by the way. Has been for a long time. I've been interacting with Betty for quite a while. And again, her Twitter handle is at B-E-T-T-E underscore O-H. She's funny as all get out people. And might I say, quite attractive. But anyway, Betty has started this Venmo challenge where she's asking for donations and she's going to give out $100 increments to people in need out in the community. She's done it three times already. Her goal was to raise $1,000. She's already exceeded that close to $1,300. So you can help people this holiday season by donating just a dollar, $2, $3, $5, whatever you're comfortable donating, and you can help families out. Here is one such family that was a recipient of this $100 Venmo challenge. Okay guys, for our third recipients, we have these two lovely ladies here. $100 for the Venmo challenge, just to spread love and kindness this holiday season. So here you guys go. Thank you so My much. followers want to say Merry Christmas, much love and God bless. And Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas Thank you. What what just a wonderful, wonderful process. Now, Betty is doing this of the kindness of her heart. Her and her husband are very successful. They retired early, very successful in business. This is just her way of giving back to the community. And uh, I am very proud to be a part of it. So you can too by donating as little, as much as you can. And her Venmo account is at O-H-B-E-T-T-E. Again, I'll put this in my show notes, uh, but what a wonderful, wonderful program to be a part of. And think about how many families that we can help between now and Christmas. Three families have already been helped. And as I record this today, I know Betty is heading out to some local secondhand shops today to help people out as well. Now, those two young ladies that you saw who were the recipient of $100, what Betty noticed at the shop that she was at was they had to put stuff back out of their cart because they didn't have enough money. Now, we've all been there, and this is just, again, a great way that we can help families out collectively by chipping in just a little, helping families out this holiday season. Thank you, Betty, for doing this. I love you. You are absolutely wonderful. And again, please, I encourage everybody to follow Betty at Twitter. Her Twitter handle, again, is at B-E-T-T-E underscore O-H. So uh, thanks again, Betty. Love you, love you, love you. All right, well, let's get into the show. Let's get into some politics. So I've had a lot of conversations or questions 
regarding Trump's executive order on September 12, uh, 2018, and what the Director of National Intelligence is doing, and what is going on really with these alternative electors that were sent from seven states up to Washington. So I'm going to try to uh, explain it as best I can, because there's a lot of information about it. And I don't want to say there's misinformation, but it's not an easy process to follow. So the first thing I want to address is the executive order. Now, the executive executive order, and it was imposing certain sanctions in the event of foreign interference in a United States election. There are a lot of people hanging their hat on this executive order. I mean, a lot of people. I see it on Twitter all the time. And I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I've said this before, and it keeps popping up. I'm going to say it again. Do not hang your hat on this executive order. What it does, in a nutshell, is if there was foreign interference, and yes, there was. The Director of National Intelligence has said there's foreign interference, yes. But what it does is all it does is allow for sanctions to be imposed against those foreign actors. So it doesn't allow for the National Guard to be called out. It doesn't allow for the president to call on martial law. It doesn't allow for a re-election, if you will, uh, for whatever state that the president of the United States deems because of this executive order. It also allows in the executive order that people, Americans, are exempt from it. So if there is shenanigans here in the United States perpetrated by Americans, the executive order is moot to that. It doesn't do anything. And I know there's a lot of people that keep bringing up the executive order and that, you know, because in the executive order, it says 45 days after the election, the president can act. Now, the way the president acts is by whatever is recommended to the president from the director of national intelligence and other agencies. That hasn't happened. And day 45 is the day I'm recording this, which is December 18th. So once that day passes, again, the executive order is moot. However, uh, the Ratcliffe, what is his name? Uh, Director Ratcliffe. Um, announced, John Ratcliffe, the office of the Director of National Intelligence announced late Wednesday that, uh, the, that he will not, not be sending a recommendation of reports of threats from the 2020 election to the president on the 45th day that is due, which is December 18th, that they're going to delay that because he is not certain or he's not satisfied with the amount of information he has and he wants to collect more data. He will still send something up. And yes, he does say, John Ratcliffe does say that there was foreign interference. But so what does that mean? What a lot of people are saying, that means the clock starts all over again. So let's say it does. Let's say the clock starts all over again and it's another 45 days that the director of national intelligence can present his information to the president of the United States and the president can act on it. Well, by that time, January 6th, has passed. Now, why is January 6th so important? January 6th is so important because that's when the Congress, that two houses of Congress, tallies up the votes from the Electoral College, all the electoral votes. So that puts aside that executive order from September 12, 2018. It's, it, I'm telling you, I know a lot of people are still hanging their hat on it. It's not going anywhere. We don't even hear President Trump talking about it. It's just people on Twitter, people in the social media realm that keep bringing it up, and it really has, has nothing to do. I've said this before on the show yesterday, what Trump's play is, his play is the electoral votes. So you've got the Electoral College that met on the, the 14th, 
and they cast their votes, and that's what the Electoral College does. They just cast the votes. There's no vote on. They cast the votes. So that's December 14th, and the votes that were cast by, that were sent up by the states, the certified states, I guess you could say, or official by the governors and the secretary, the secretary of states, was cast, and that gives Biden 306 electoral votes. That's enough to win the election. However, seven states, uh, let's see if I can remember those states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, those battleground states, uh, Arizona, and I know New Mexico, and I'm at a loss for the seventh state. But those seventh states uh, cast their electoral votes for Trump. Uh, but they also cast their electoral votes for Biden. So let me explain that. So the popular vote of each of those states went to Biden. We're, again, let's put aside all the voter shenanigans, all the election shenanigans. Let's just stick to this point. Put aside what you believe is fraud or not, uh, because that's why we're dealing with this. I get it. But the, the states, the Secretary of State certified the elections and sent their electoral votes up for Biden in these seven states. Well, the Republican legislatures, because the states are run by the Republican legislatures, the Republicans control the legislatures. These, uh, these seven states said, wait a minute, not so fast. We don't agree. And you change the rules, you being the secretary of states and or the governors, but primarily the secretary of states. You change the rules of how the election process was without asking us, the state legislatures. And that is against not only the Constitution of the United States, but also most states' constitutions. I say most because I haven't read each and every one of them. So in each state, the state legislatures are the ones that dictate how presidential elections are run and cast and voted on. Again, I mentioned this before. Every state in the union could say, we're not going to have a vote this election cycle. We're just going to cast our votes based on the state legislatures. So if the Republicans uh, are in charge, then guess what? The Republican candidate gets the votes. If the Democrats are in charge, the Democrat candidate. Each state, per the Constitution of the United States, can dictate how it votes for President of the United States. You, me, we have no right, zero right, in the Constitution of the United States and how we vote for the president. We do for other offices, but for the presidency, the founding fathers gave that authority to the state legislatures. So that's where we're at. So these state legislatures in these seven states said, wait a minute, you changed the rules, you didn't get us involved, we're sending up our own electors. So that's how that works. Now those electors are in Washington, right? The, you also have the other electors. So from these seven states, you've got dueling electors. Now, when I say dueling, they're not going to pull out pistols and uh, have a duel. Maybe, though, maybe, maybe we should. <laughs> maybe we should do that. But anyway, that's where we stand right now. So now you've got the, the Elector College cast, you know, cast their votes. Biden's got his 306. Trump's got however many he's got. Uh, and then these alternative electors from these seven states where the state legislature said, not so fast. We're in charge. We're sending ours. Now they're in Congress. Now, now what has to happen, you've got the Electoral Act of 1887 that comes into play. And I talk about this a little bit on yesterday's show, and I'll try not to get in too much detail, but I'll put some uh, notes in the, the, um, uh, in the show notes, too, talking about the election law. Now, um, 
what's going to happen now is you have to have a representative from the House of Representatives that says, hey, we contest these electoral votes and we want to vote on, um, I guess, both of them or we're going to vote on our own. We're going to choose which ones to vote on. You need somebody in the House and you need somebody in the Senate. So far, you got Mo Brooks in the House who's all over it, but you don't really have anybody in the Senate who says, yeah. We are, we are going to decide which electors to vote. So there's all kind of rules on this, and I won't get into the, the, the minutia detail of all these rules. I'm just kind of giving you a cursor review, but I'm going to put a link in my show notes from uh, osaka.law.miami.edu that put together a really good presentation on the Electoral Count Act of 1887. Uh, this from that document on page three. Ultimately, through this process, the ECA, Electoral Count Act, requires that if there is only one submission of electoral votes from a state, Congress must count those votes unless both chambers agree to reject them for reasons specified in the statute. And, and they discuss it below. So that means if there's only one submission, like the Electoral College, Either somebody in the House of Representatives or somebody in the Senate would have to have a really good reason to reject them. Okay. Now, that typically doesn't happen if you only got one, but now we got two. Now we got two. So now there's reason to reject them because there's two. Now it goes on. If there is more than one submission of electoral votes from a state, the question ultimately is whether the chambers agree on which slate to accept. If the chambers agree to accept a particular slate, those electoral votes count. If the chambers agree to reject a particular slate, then those electoral votes do not count. If the chambers disagree as to which slate to accept, then the prevailing votes are those that were cast by electors certified by the executive of the state. This would be the Secretary of State. This would be the votes coming from the Electoral College. This provision, known collectively as the governor's tiebreaker, operates as a fail-safe to prevent state disenfranchisement. So, you know, trying to muddle through all of this, because there were some that were saying the Electoral Count Act is kind of vague, and it is. You know, most of these laws are written this way to have multiple interpretations, which brings it to the Supreme Court. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but what's going to happen here, what has to happen in order for those alternate electors to count somebody in the house have to um challenge it and somebody in the senate nobody in the senate as i've said already is looked to but except rand paul is giving overtures making uh comments and waves that he may support mo brooks in this endeavor if that happens then both houses will have to agree on which slate of electors they're going to count if they don't then it gets kicked back to the House. Now, I, I get that it's in the House, but what I mean by that is it gets kicked back up to a House vote, uh, and the House vote is uh, one vote per state. Now, currently, Republicans uh, outnumber Democrats in each in a number of states being governed by Republicans and Democrats. I believe there's 26 or 27 Republican states. So if that, it gets kicked up to that, then uh, if they vote party line, Trump retains his presidency. Now, in the House of Representatives and the Senate, if they agree to count the electors as they are uh, from the Electoral College, then Biden wins the presidency. If they agree to count whoever gets the most of either of those slates, because you've got 
two slates of electors now. I know this is confusing. You've got two slates of electors up in the House right now, uh, the both houses of Congress, and if they decide to go with the one who gets the most, adding up both slates, well, then Trump wins because these alternate electors from these seven states that were sent up would give Trump either 310 or 300 and 11 electoral votes. Now, let me try to make sure I explain it because I'm not sure I did a very good job at that. So let's say you, you have these seven states and you take out these seven states. Neither candidate has 270 votes or electoral votes to win the presidency. So let's say they decide, that, that both chambers decide to take the slate of electors from these seven states uh, that have the most for any given candidate. Well, that would be Trump. There are more electors in these seven states for Trump that would give Trump the win if you add it into the other electors around the country. So meaning that if I take um, the seven out of the total electoral votes that are cast right now, neither candidate gets 270. Um, if I add them in uh, for Trump, he'll have 310 or 311 electoral votes. If I, add, if I don't add them in and I go with the electoral college tallies, votes, then Biden gets 306, and that's less than the 310 or 11 that Trump would get. So they may go with the lesser or more. Now, I know it's, I know it's all over the place. It's very confusing. But this is what I believe is what the Trump campaign is holding their hat on. I believe this is it. I think this is all they have. I don't think that the executive order that everybody's hanging their hat on uh, will absolutely do anything. I just don't see it happening. And then, you know, if there are challenges, then what happens to this? It gets punted up to the Supreme Court, and then they'll decide. They'll have to interpret the Electoral Count Act of 1877. Now, the clock ticks, because one thing about our Constitution when it comes to the presidency of the United States, January 20th is going to happen regardless. A president will be inaugurated on January 20th. It's written into our Constitution. So the clock ticks. January 6th is an important date because that's when Congress tallies the votes. you got these alternate elects up the electors up there. Again, the, if, if the Republicans prevail, that those alternate electors will be counted for Trump and he'll win the presidency. If they fail, then the electoral college that tallied up 306 electoral votes for Biden will prevail and Biden will win the presidency. This is why Trump has not conceded. This is why Trump should not concede because this is per the constitution and per laws of the land. Specifically what they're using is the electoral count act of 1877. Remember there's been two times, actually three times, I believe in our nation's history where the president was not elected by the Electoral College. It was elected by the House. It was elected by one vote per state. I, again, would love, love for that to happen. And the only reason that I would love, love, love for that to happen is for purely selfish reasons. I would love to see the practice played out. This is history in the making right before our eyes. And I would love to see the Constitution uh, be played out this way in this manner because the 
lessons that we are getting and how our constitution is has been written and it impacts our the presidency and civics 101 whatever you want to say however you want to say it i think this is the most fascinating election of our lifetime now, regardless of who you want president trump or vice president or president-elect whatever you want to call him biden doesn't matter look at what's happening what's playing out right before us we are witnessing history and it's a beautiful thing to watch there is no constitutional crisis by the way because the constitution is what the trump administration is actually using now the left don't want to don't want you to know this. In fact, the media doesn't want you to know this. The media will do everything and anything it can to keep you ignorant. And th they're not bringing up the uh, Electoral Count Act of 1887. They don't want you to know this. They don't. They want you to think that the Electoral College is the bee's knees and it all ends there. And Biden's the winner. He's the president-elect. Deal with it. And by the way, have you noticed that they talk, they call, they're calling president-elect, they have been calling him president-elect for a while. Semantics, I know, he's not officially president-elect until Congress tallies the votes on January 6th. But I know, you know, he, he did win in the Electoral College so far that we know of. Uh, and so give him the president-elect. But you notice what they're also doing, and this is kind of off-tangent a little bit, is I saw this article or this interview where they go and and uh president-elect biden and his wife dr jill biden all of the sudden she's dr jill and i know there's been a lot of attention to her doctorate right um tucker carlson did a show on it people are like going you're a misogynist if you don't call her dr jill biden yeah but you know i'm not going to i i don't have to call anyone doctor who has a doctorate in education or a, a phd it doesn't matter i don't care now, I've, I've had doctor friends. I have doctor friends. Um, I call them by their first name in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, I get it. They spend a lot of money for that doctorate degree. I mean, uh, you know, they spend a lot of time for that doctorate degree. But uh, we are under no obligation to call Jill Biden Dr. Jill Biden. Okay. And uh, the reason the media is doing this is they are building her up. You know, if they would have given Melania Trump that kind of respect and no not calling her doctor but they never once put her on a fashion magazine and she was a fashion model and she's arguably a very attractive lady okay i mean you just actually you can't argue i guess she's not the type for some but she's an attractive she's a beautiful woman who was a fashion model who dresses very well and was on zero fashion magazines because the left are bitter, petty children. So now they want us all of a sudden to start saying, Dr. Jill Biden. Oh, I'm not going to do that. It's Jill Biden. That's all she gets from me. She's Jill Biden. Uh, and, you know, I may, I may just call her Jill, even though I don't know her. But anyway, I digress. I hope that cleared some of it up. Now, again, Rand Paul is um, – he, he's – warming to it. Ram Paul, you know, if you follow Ram Paul, wasn't exactly a fan of Donald Trump at the beginning of his presidency, or especially during the campaign. They were, they ran against each other as well as Ted Cruz. But one thing Rand Paul is, is a very logical, reasonable man. And he's very smart. And he's a constitutionalist. And if you're not familiar with his name, Rand, that comes from uh, Ayn Rand, uh, the author of Atlas Shrugged. And his father, Ron Paul, uh, 
was, you know, I guess you could say a fan of the book. It is a wonderful book, by the way. If you haven't read it, uh, I highly encourage you to read it. It will change your life. It will change your thought process. Uh, I did mine. Uh, it's a very long book, so plan on that. But if you read Atlas Shrugged, you would have a whole different viewpoint of everything going on in our world right now regarding politics, uh, because a lot of what Ayn Rand wrote in that story, and it is a story, it's a love story, actually, uh, a lot of what she wrote in that story we're seeing come to fruition, which is scary as all get out. So, but Rand Paul, he had uh, this to say about the Georgia election. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but, and also about Eric Swalwell. And I want you to hear what he says, because it's just, um, he's leaning towards, he's leaning towards challenging the votes that came out of the Electoral College and uh, getting on board with these alternate electors. Listen to what he had to say. More now on the double vote claims in Georgia. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul joins us. He sits on the Homeland Security Committee, which will soon hold a hearing on voting irregularities. I believe that's coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern time this morning. Senator, thank you and, and great to have you here this morning. So what does all of this mean for the integrity of those Georgia runoffs, knowing that so much is at stake with, with this elect, upcoming election? Well, you'd think that all of this would be investigated and try to be fixed before the election. So if you have 1,700 people that voted twice, you would think that maybe they need to be charged and maybe not allowed to vote in the next election, or at least one of their votes canceled out. You would think that people who voted illegally from commercial addresses would be purged from the rolls. You'd think that they would check the uh, death file and purge those who had died to make sure that they don't vote. I mean, we're going to hear testimony this morning from Nevada where 1,500 people were deceased and should not have voted, 4,000 people were illegal aliens, and 15,000 people voted from commercial addresses, and you have to vote from a Senator, home address. Senator, what are we doing about it? Well, here's the problem. Courts aren't very good at doing this. They just are very reticent to get involved. And so far, the court has turned down all of these uh, appeals to, to look at the facts. No court has examined the facts. And this is sort of historically true. Courts don't like to do this. But even worse than this is it's sort of Obama, Rahm Emanuel's playbook. They took the crisis of COVID and then they changed election law. But they changed election law not by changing the law at the state legislature. They had secretaries of state and or governors simply by fiat change the law to say, oh, you can keep counting votes when the law didn't say that. So this election really was stolen in a way, and it was stolen because what happened is people changed the law. How can you change the law without asking the state legislature to do this? And I'm disappointed that the courts haven't heard it. Really interesting. We'll follow what comes uh, from the 10 a.m. What, the reason I played that clip, because I know he didn't mention uh, the alternate electors, but if you listen to Rand Paul, it's obvious the man believes something happened. But what was really curious about that clip was he talked about the state legislatures, how they were subverted, that, that the governors and the secretary of states changed the law without going through due process, which was would be getting the state legislatures involved. The state legislatures are the ones that have the authority to change election laws in each state, not the governor, not the secretary of state. And what Rand Paul was talking about was just that. So if you've got Rand Paul talking about that, then you've got Rand Paul thinking logically. He obviously believes something happened. He actually said it, that this election was stolen. 
This is a United States senator and a respected senator, I, I might add. So if he comes out and he supports these alternate electors, it's a game changer. That means you've got somebody in the House of Representatives and you've got somebody in the Senate now on board. Now, this from uh, USSANews.com. Uh, this is what Rand Paul, they quoted Rand Paul as saying at CNN, we're still looking at all the legal stuff that's happening with the legal cases, and we'll make our decision after we've seen all the legal challenges, the senator told CNN on December 10th. Now, this is him being, he's considering, the headline is Rand Paul considering objecting to electoral college votes in the Senate. Ladies and gentlemen, if Rand Paul gets on board with this, this is exactly what I've been talking about with the Electoral Count Act of 1877. This is the movement. This is the movement that has to happen. If he gets on board with this, and we've got already representatives in the House of Representatives on board with this, then they challenge the Electoral College votes, and then they'll challenge, and they'll have to put it in writing. There's all these procedural things that have to happen, and they can't deny it. Because of the procedural laws, the rules in the House and the Senate, they can't deny this from moving forward. So all it takes is one from each chamber to object to the Electoral College votes and to recognize and accept these alternate electors. This is the play. This is the play. And you've got uh, Senator Rand Paul leaning towards it. Now, I'm disappointed that at this stage in the game, he hasn't just come out and said he is. Uh, we don't know what his cards say. He's very good at holding his cards close to his chest. But I would like to see him come out. I would love to see Ted Cruz come out. And I know there's got to be other Republican senators come out. Now, I've been saying this for a while now, is the problem that we have in this country is we do not have the political will to do what is uncomfortable. This is extremely uncomfortable. Now, there's a report out there. And I'm not buying into it, by the way, the, but I want to address it because I know a lot of you will probably ask me about it, that there was a huge fight in the Supreme Court about not taking the Texas case because of potential riots in the streets. And there's reporting coming out that John Roberts, behind the scenes, behind the doors, was yelling and screaming. Uh, now, there's no... there's there's no validity to this yet. There's no proof of it. So I'm holding out on that. Uh, but that's but it speaks to what I've been saying now for a while that we just don't have the backbone anymore in this country to do that what is uncomfortable. You know what? These riots could have been shut down like that. All it would have taken is a National Guard. In fact, when the National Guard was called out here in the state of Georgia because of riots, it stopped it dead in its tracks. None of this should be feared. None of it. Because these people that do these riots, your BLMs, your Antifas, they're all marshmallows anyway. They're weak. And all it would take is one blunt hit to the face and they're done. That's how you deal with bullies. You fight back. And if we don't fight back, if we continue to roll over and acquiesce and allow them to take over the threat of riots and, not, and, and then we don't do anything when they come out, BS, ladies and gentlemen. That is not who we are as a nation. And if we allow this to happen, we deserve everything, everything that we're going to get under a Joe Biden administration. I hate to say it, but if we don't have the backbone to stand up to this, these kind of shenanigans that we've seen in this election, we deserve what we get. And it's just a damn shame because a lot of us have fought back. 
A lot of us have voiced our opinion. A lot of us have gone out there and have done what is uncomfortable by being expressive in our thoughts, by saying, hey, we think there is voter shenanigans. Oh, you guys are stupid. You're idiots. You lost already. Get over it. You know, Trump's a psychopath. He's a liar. He's an idiot. He's evil. And we push back, a lot of us. And it's a damn shame that more of our elected officials don't do that. You know, if this turns out, if, if this ploy, and I hate to call it a ploy, uh, but if this play, let's call it a play that Trump is doing with the alternate electors, which I think is, by the way, I think is brilliant. And I know a lot of leftists will push back and say, oh, get over it. You lost already. I think this is brilliant because it's actually using the text written within the Constitution of the United States of America. The state legislatures are the ones that make the rules, not the Secretary of State. They broke the rules. That's what that Texas case stated. And it's a damn shame that the Supreme Court didn't see it or hear it or didn't hear it. And Rand Paul spoke to that, that none of, the, none of this has been uh, um, debated in court. None of this have been in a court of law. Everything has been thrown out because our elected officials and a lot of them are in our judiciary are they just don't have the, the will, the spine, the backbone, the ramrod, as Joe Biden likes to say, to do that which is uncomfortable. None of this is comfortable. So that's why a lot of people love Trump, because he's willing to push out there and do what's uncomfortable. Maybe not in an articulate enough way, and that may be why we're in this situation, because of how Trump's... Uh, communicates very well could be some people love the way he communicates but there's no doubt that there may have been better ways to communicate all this but I do love the fact that he is following the law yes liberals leftists he is following the law which is the Constitution of the United States of America and we'll see how this we got a few more days till January 6 we have 19 days as i record this until January 6 happens and January 6 is the end all be all date that's when the congress will vote uh or will tally the votes from the electoral college and from the states um uh state legislatures that send in the alternate votes they'll have to decide it's out there. They're going to have to decide what to do one way or another. They can't just ignore it. That's just not how our laws are written. So it'll be very interesting if Senator Paul gets on board with this. We are going to see a civics lesson like we have never seen before. Hey, thanks for listening to this segment of the PBO podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. And I will put in Betty's Venmo challenge in the show notes. And uh, please, uh, I do highly encourage you to participate. We are helping people. And even if it's a dollar, it goes a long way to adding up. And you know, like she, she's got oh, almost $1,300 the last conversation I had with Betty. And that's 13 families that could be helped this holiday season. Christmas is only a few days away. And this is such a trying time for so many of us right now. And it's just our little way of helping. And uh, again, from the bottom of my heart, Betty, thank you, thank you, thank you for creating this. And uh, just uh, love you so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the PBL Podcast Politics and Brown Liquor. Hey, Woody, you ready to sign off? Woody says yes. <laughs> <laughs>